they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. Uh, this is the 20th of August. It's the Feast of St. Um, Bernard of Clairvaux. And we welcome you here, and I forgot my glasses. <laughs> so if we're going to read that gospel, I need to have those. So we'll ask the angels to join us and help us and give us light. We're going to be studying the Holy Scriptures, and it is through the ministry of the angels that Scriptures are given. Sanctus, Sanctus. Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncelia terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. Well, we always like to start off with the gospel reading for the day. And this is Friday of the, I want to say 20th, is that correct? 20th week in ordinary time. That is correct. Thank you. So we have the reading from the gospel according to Matthew, and it's chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And the reading says, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, we have, you know, this... this Con- this um, conflict between the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus that they don't want to accept him as the Messiah. They don't want to accept his message. They wanted, to, they wanted him to preach a different message than the one he's preaching. Um, he's bringing salvation, but he's not preaching rebellion against Rome, and he's not preaching uh, somehow, he's, not making, he's making it clear to them that he's not come to establish a worldly kingdom, an earthly kingdom, and they're not real pleased with this. So they're come to test him. Again, there, there's a lack of sincerity here. If we want to know the truth, we're not testing the person who's bringing us the truth in terms of, well, um, this is my category, and if you don't fit into my category, I don't want to accept what you have to say. And essentially, that's what they were doing. So, okay, so what's the greatest commandment in the law? Well, now, how can you read that? Well, gee whiz, that could put Jesus in a real conundrum, right? If he was one of us, it's like, well, my gosh, wait a minute, there's the Ten Commandments, and then there's, there's all the dietary laws and the, and the, the, um, <laughs> the restrictions, the dietary restrictions and the liturgical law and the, uh, oh, my word, where do I start? But it's very simple, isn't it? Because what does it come down to? He says very simply, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. Oftentimes, when we um, are trying to serve the Lord, we think that it's what we do that 
um, endears God to us and makes him want to bless us. Well, no, that's not quite true. You see, God blessed us before we did anything. The little child that I carried in my womb for only 14 weeks, that I miscarried at 14 weeks and we baptized, that child was dear to God. And that child didn't have to do anything but exist. So you see, God makes us and he desires that we love because he is love. The priest said in the sermon this morning, he said, you know, sometimes we get this backwards. We want to say, well, you know, instead of saying um, God is love, we want to say love is God. No, God is love. God is love. And, and we distort the meaning of love. We distort the word love. And, and God is God and we are not. He made everything that is, all that exists. And he made us in his image so that we could show love so that we could show forth his love. So God loves us, and, and we are dear to him, and he desires to bless us with his life, with a share in his life, with his grace. You know, when we receive the gift of baptism, we receive the intimate, inner Trinitarian life, the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God comes to dwell in our soul. And that grace can grow in us. The life of God can grow in us. And God can expand our hearts and make us capable of loving. So the first commandment is to love the Lord our God. And I remember reading, um, there's a book called Christ, the Life of the Soul. It's by Blessed Don Columbia Marmion. And uh, a priest, Father Robert Fox, said that this is the greatest um, commentary on St. Paul's theology of divine sonship. So if you want to understand St. Paul's theology of divine sonship, which is divinely inspired, St. Paul writes, and this is the scriptures, these, these are inspired by God, then read Don, Blessed Don Columbia Marmion's work, Christ the Life of the Soul. And in that he said, you know, when he was a young monk, um, he, he was taught that you practice the virtues, practice the virtues, practice the virtues, and eventually you will come to love God. And he understood finally, he came to understand finally that this is backward. It's not through the practice of the virtue that we come to love God. He said we must fall in love with God first, and then we will be able to practice the virtues. You see, practicing the virtues is not an end in and of itself. The practice of the virtues should flow from our love for God. If we love God, we desire to please him. It's like that gift, the fear of the Lord. Is the fear of the Lord being afraid that God's always watching over us for us to make a mistake and he's going to bang us over the head, you know, beat you up every time you make a mistake? No. The essence of the fear of the Lord is awe and reverence in his sight. That comes from love. I love him so much I acknowledge that God is God and I am not. Do we really think about that? I didn't create myself. I didn't make myself. I can't make anything. I can't create anything. Because to create means to call out of nothing, call into being something that wasn't. Okay, excuse me. To call into being something that wasn't. So to call out of nothing something, that's to create. I can, I can co-create. I can uh, be creative in the sense that I can you know, make works of art or I can bake a cake or I can, that's, I don't make works of art. I can more, I could, I could bake a banana bread. Okay. <laughs> you know, but, but I'm not creating that. 
I'm making it out of materials that are already made. And so, um, it, you know, there, there, there's a story told, it's an anecdote, this is just a, but to kind of illustrate the point, you know, somebody, this, this man says to God, he said, look, God, I can make a world. You know, what's the big deal? So you made a world. So what, I can make a world? And God says, okay, fine, go ahead and make a world. So the guy starts taking some dirt and he starts working with it and, and making something. And God said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Go get your own dirt. You see? God didn't make the world out of already existing material. He spoke the word and it came into being. And, and, um, and we know this. God, in, in, from Scripture, you know, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. So he made by the, his very word, okay? And philosophically, just on an intellectual level, by the way, that God exists is not an article of faith. It's a self-evident truth. Because if you have order and beauty and goodness, and you have a created world, then you had to have an intelligent design behind it. You had to have a source of the beauty. You had to have a source of the goodness. And you had to have an uncreated creator. You had to, there had to be someone who would create out of nothing. That's, that, by the way, is just human reason. The pagans knew this. Go back and read the Greeks. Go back and read Socrates. You know, they knew that there had to be an unmoved mover because there's motion. They knew that there had to be an uncreated creator because there's creation. They knew that there had to be a source of beauty, a, a beauty that exists in and of itself without anyone making it because there was beauty in the world. So the pagan Greeks, this is not an article of faith that God exists. It is not an article of faith. It's a self-evident truth. But we have to be intellectually honest. And the, the difficulty is most, many people come up with a, they have a moral difference with God, or there's some law of God they don't want to keep, or they don't think that God is fair because he made us and yet he gave us free will. And so we have the freedom to say no to him. Well, again, that's tied up with love. God desires that we love. So when we love the Lord, our God, we put him first above all things and we acknowledge that he is and that he is good. And we will to take delight in the good that we see in him. And we don't demand of him that he do everything our way. You know, it's not about have it your way. It's not about you deserve a break today. It's about, Lord, what do you want of me today? You created me with a purpose. So we put the Lord God first. And, you know, Jesus makes it clear, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he says. So if we love God, we keep his commandments. And no, the Ten Commandments aren't optional, and they're not, um, you know, suggestions. They are the bedrock, as it were, owner's manual that God gives us. God made us. And he says, look, if you do these things, if you follow these commandments, these 10, then you'll be happy. And the first three, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And remember to keep holy the Sabbath are summed up in this one Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. So that's the first commandment. And then the second is like it. And we'll get to the second after this break. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 20th of August. Um, thank you for your support, all of you who support us. Thank you for Stations of the Cross Radio and all the little radio stations who pick up our signal. And for all of our listeners, thank you for your prayers and your sacrifices for those who support us with their prayers and sacrifices. We'll be right back with more from Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 20th of August, 2021. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to our listeners um, on the app, on Rumble, on Facebook, on Stations of the Cross Radio, and all the other little stations that pick us up. Um, Thank you for your support, financial support, also for your spiritual support, your prayers, your sufferings, your sacrifices. We appreciate that. And um, by the way, there are people out there who ask us for prayers. And yes, we do. We take those prayer requests seriously. And um, we leave those in the chapel and we lift them up to the Lord in prayer at the masses and and the prayer. And when we pray at the chapel, we lift up your prayers, um, your requests in prayer. So we ask the Lord to bless all those who are listening to us. And, And most especially, what is the greatest gift we want? We want the gift to be faithful and have the gift of final perseverance, to persevere in our faith to the end. And so we have this gospel today from Matthew 22, 34 through 40. This is the gospel for Friday of the 20th week of the year. And Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And so first he says, you love the Lord your God and, and with your whole heart, all your soul, with all your mind. And then, um, of course, he sum, that, that sums up the first three commandments of the Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments. You will, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. Um, re, you shall keep... Remember not to take the the name of the Lord in vain and remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. And then we have the other 10, the other seven, right? And, And so then what does he say? And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So everything depends on that love. And what is that love? Well, the love of God is self giving, it's self sacrificing. God gives of himself to us. He created us out of nothing. He doesn't gain anything by creating us. He doesn't gain anything if we say yes and cooperate in his plan and and do everything he wants us to do. (laughs) But we gain everything. We get to share in his glory. We become his dearly beloved children. He desires to bestow blessings upon us. St. John Vianney, when he used to preach to his congregation, he would say, and in tears, he would weep, and he would say, God desires to bless you, and you force him to curse you by your sins. So you see, God wants to bless us. But again, we have to give up our sins. And the, the keeping of the Ten Commandments, that's not, that's not, you know, not part of the, um, uh, there were things that were provisional in the old law. Circumcision, the dietary laws, the animal sacrifices, certain feasts, um, those were provisional. They were pointing towards something that was coming later. But the Ten Commandments are not provisional. And Jesus sums up the second, you know, the, the Commandments number four through ten, through ten in love your neighbor as yourself. Because love doesn't do any wrong to the neighbor, Scripture tells us. And love puts the neighbor first. We're thinking about our neighbor and our neighbor's good, and essentially, most especially, their good, their relationship with God. Because we are all called to be in relationship with God. And so Jesus isn't excusing us from keeping the Ten Commandments. And as a matter of fact, he takes this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, and at the Last Supper... He kind of makes it, uh, he ups it one. He says, you shall love one another as I have loved you. Well, wow, he loved us first before we loved him and, and he gave his life for us. So we're supposed to be willing to sacrifice ourselves for the good of our neighbor. And that means for their eternal salvation, first and foremost, but also to help the poor. You know, at the last judgment, what does Jesus say? 
I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was away from home and you welcomed me. I was sick or in prison and you visited me. These are the ways that we express that love in action, okay? So honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. Those are all summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus isn't doing away with the Ten Commandments. He's summarizing them and he's explaining love. If you love you will, it will become easy for you to sacrifice. And the deal is, you know, sometimes (laughs) the first movement of love for the human being, sometimes we misunderstand and we don't understand the first movement of love for the human being is to be able to see good in the beloved and will to take delight in it. And because of original sin, we're inclined to evil. We're not inclined to do good. (laughs) You know, it's hard for us to do good. It's easy for us to sin. So we need God's help, but he's there. He's going to help us. So we see good in the beloved, and this begins with, you know, we see good in God. We acknowledge the goodness in God, and we will to take delight in it. And and then we serve our neighbor out of love. You know, when when you're doing your housework, men, when you're at work and, and supporting your families or women who have to work outside the home, when you're doing this, remember, Jesus, I'm doing this for love in obedience to your will to help support my family. You know, the house. A woman who stays at home is not an unworking mother. (laughs) She works at home. She just is a stay-at-home mom. She's keeping a home, and she's keeping it together. And, And if a woman has to work outside the home, she still has the home, the work in the home that she has to do. And uh, hopefully the husband understands that he needs to pitch in and help out there if his wife is working outside the home and the two of them need to work together to keep the home together. You know, this isn't a one one way street. So we need to learn to love. And that love begins with seeing good in the beloved and willing to take delight in them. Every human being is made in God's image. So not only is God good, but he has placed his image in every created, every human being he's made. And so we our images of God. So there's goodness in us because there's that, that image of God in us. And we pray for one another that we can be faithful and that we can live our life out. And it, it's, it's beautiful because in the first reading today, the first reading is the beginning of the book of Ruth. And if, I'm sure you remember the story of Ruth. She was the Moabite woman. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, Naomi and her husband had gone to Moab because there was a famine in, in, in Israel. So they'd gone to Moab and their two sons had married two Moabite women. And then the, Naomi's husband died and then um, Ruth's husband died and, and Orpha's husband died. So all the men died. And then Naomi gets word that there's no longer a famine in Israel. So she's going to go back. And when she goes to go back, um, Ruth is, is with her. And she, you know, Orpha, she tells them, no, you, you know, Orpha goes back to her family. She's, you know, Naomi's just her mother-in-law, but she, there were no children. So it's, there's no connection, sort of. So she goes back to her family. And, and Ruth is staying with Naomi. And, and Naomi's like, no, go back with, you, you, look, your sister-in-law went back. You go back. And she says, no, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'm not going to leave you. I will be buried beside you. I'm going to stay with you. She loved her mother-in-law. So she comes back to Israel with her, knowing that Naomi is older now. 
She's advanced in age, and she's not going to be able to go out and glean in the fields. You know, the widows and the orphans were allowed to go out and glean in the fields after the, the workers. They were never to clean up the fields totally. Something was left for the widows and the orphans, but the widows and orphans had to go out and collect that. Well, Naomi was getting to the age where she probably couldn't collect enough to support herself. So Ruth goes back, and she, she captures the attention of Boaz, who's a kinsman of Naomi, and it turns out that... Um, so Boaz falls in love with Ruth and he marries her. And guess who Ruth becomes? <laughs> the son who was born to Ruth and Boaz is called Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse, who is the father of King David. So here is this Moabite woman who shows love in action. She sees her elderly mother-in-law returning to Israel, not knowing if her elderly mother-in-law has family that will take care of her. She gives up her own people and everything she knows to go and take care of her. And in the end, God blesses her for that with a great gift. You know, she's, she's the mother of Obed, the grandmother of Jesse, and the great-grandmother of King David. Now, she didn't know that at the time, but she carries on the messianic line besides being the great-grandmother of King David. It is through this line that the, the Messiah will be born. She becomes part of the carrying on of the messianic line. God is so good. He is never outdone in generosity. But she shows us this example of love, of love. And I, I put on my show today, the title is simply Melchizedek. Well, who is Melchizedek? <laughs> and again, we want to see here again, we have an example of love, of love in action. Um, Melchizedek appears on the scene. I don't know if you all remember the story, but in Genesis, um, I thought I had it here. Where, oh, I do have it here right in front of me. In Genesis um, chapter 14, if you remember, you know, Abraham, Abram, he's not Abraham yet, he's Abram. Abraham, Abram has, you know, he and his nephew Lot have split. Abram takes the hills and Lot takes the fertile plain and he settles in, in Sodom. Well, some kings come against Sodom and they take Lot prisoner. And when Abram hears about it, he goes to rescue Lot. And he does. He wins the battle. And then he comes back. And when he comes back, he um, brings a tithe of everything he has gotten and he gives it to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Well, Melchizedek appears here without, you know, there seems to be no genealogy, no connection. He's just there all of a sudden. So as after his return, um, he goes to uh, Melchizedek, king of Salem, and he brings, and Melchizedek brings out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed him. He blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gives him a tithe. He gives him a tenth of everything that he has. Okay? So here is Melchizedek. And what do we know? Well, in Psalm 110, we read, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, what's going on here? Well, it says here in Genesis that Melchizedek is a priest of God the Most High. And so well, where does he come from? To whose family does he belong? And the scholars of the Jewish scholars traced Melchizedek back to Noah. He's the eldest son of Noah. He's Shem. And God blessed Noah 
you bless, excuse me, God bless Noah. Yes, Noah was the one who, you know, um, was the one who was found righteous <laughs> when the whole world has gone crazy. And Noah and his sons are found righteous. And so God's going to bring a great flood on the earth and he destroys the earth with a flood. And after the flood, Noah, he has this, these three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, right? And Jephthah, um, excuse me, Ham laughs at his, his, his father's nakedness. And so Shem and Jephthah take a garment and they cover their father's nakedness. And when Noah wakes up, he, he, what he had had happened is they had planted a vineyard and Noah had become drunk. And so this is in Genesis um, 9. And so when Noah wakes up and he finds out what Ham has done, he doesn't say, cursed be Ham. He says, cursed be Canaan, a slave of slaves shall he be to his brothers. He also said, now this is Noah's blessing to his son, Shem. Blessed by the Lord my God be Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. God enlarge Jepheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And there's that music again. So we're talking about Melchizedek, and we're talking about love, and how does this all fit in? <laughs> but more than that, we want to talk about Melchizedek and who he is. He's a priest of God Most High. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, August the 20th. And uh, Terry's babysitting our grandson, so he's not in the studio with me. Um, so we're talking about Melchizedek, and we started out with the reading for the gospel today is the reading about love, the two great commandments, love the Lord your God first and love your neighbor as yourself. And so what happens here? We have, we're talking about um, who is Melchizedek? Well, the, the scholars, the Hebrew scholars um, trace the, the line of um, Shem, and they find, they, they, you know, when they trace the genealogies back, it, it, um, they conclude that Shem is still alive at the time. As a matter of fact, up until the time that Isaac is born, Shem is alive. And so um, when Abram, Abram had this battle with the kings who had carried his nephew Lot off into captivity, he comes and um, he brings, he comes to Melchizedek, who is pre, we're told is priest of God the Most High and the king of Salem. And, and Abraham, Abram, Abram comes and he gives Melchizedek a tenth of what he has given. Now, Melchizedek gives Abram a blessing. But who is Melchizedek? He is priest of God Most High. So there was, there's a priesthood in the Old Testament that began before the, the Levitical priesthood, before Aaron, all right? And Adam, in um, the book of Genesis, when God tells Adam, he tells Adam to, um, to work and guard the, the garden, the two words, work and guard, when placed together in this way, give an implicit reference to the priestly character they reveal Adam to be a priest, okay? So he was to work and guard the garden. And these come together, these two words, again, okay, so in it, God speaks them to Adam in the book of Genesis, and they come together again in the book of Numbers, and they refer to the duties of the Levitical priests in, in regards to the temple. So 
these two words, work and guard, show that Adam was a priest. And so the, you know, the father of the family was a priest, and he was to teach the family about God and lead the family to God. And through the father, God would bless the family. So Shem, you know, at the time of Noah, you know, everybody's destroyed except for Noah and his three sons. And Shem is the oldest son, and he is righteous. He's, he, he shows love and respect for his father. What happens is Ham has violated his father's marriage bed and commit incest. And so um, the child that, he, that, that is born of that is cursed. That's why Noah curses Canaan. But Shem has been righteous, and he doesn't violate his father in his father's weakness. His father had planted a vineyard, and he made some wine from the grapes, and um, he got drunk, and he passed out. And, and Shem respects his father. And so Shem is blessed by Noah. Now, what happens is Shem passes on this blessing to Abram. And so God makes a covenant. He made a covenant with Adam. He made a covenant with Noah. And he'll make a covenant with Abram. But he makes that covenant with Abram after Shem gives him the blessing. And that Shem is Melchizedek. So the priesthood of Melchizedek is a priesthood that comes from God. It doesn't depend on descendants. Remember, after, in the book of Numbers, after the, in, during the Exodus, after the golden calf event, the, the Levites are made the priests. And so now the priesthood, up until the time of Jesus, will be dependent upon descendants from the Levitical line. And you had to prove, in order to be a priest, you had to prove that you descended from the, the line, the Levitical line. And so Jesus comes. Now, it's interesting because before Jesus, you have another instance where somebody acts as a priest king after Melchizedek. And that somebody is David. And so in King David and his line, the son of David, well, who is the son of David? Who does this refer to? Yeah, Solomon, historically speaking, because he became the king after his father. But prophetically speaking, it refers to Jesus and the priesthood. He will be the high priest. He will be the priest who doesn't belong to the Levitical line, that his priesthood comes from God the Most High, because he is God the Most High incarnate, of course, which they didn't know at the time. But it it, it has this... This specific priesthood, the priesthood of Melchizedek, okay, had specific character that gave it grandeur and power. It was a priesthood that was passed from father to son by means of a blessing. It was the father who would bless the son. Okay, and do we see that? Yeah, we see that. We see that in in, um, Jacob, um, excuse me, Abram blesses Isaac, and then Isaac blesses Jacob. Now, Esau was the eldest born, but Jacob got the blessing, and when, when Esau comes, and he says, but Father, can't you give me a blessing too? And he says, no, I gave the blessing. Jacob received the blessing. That was it. And, and it's interesting because when Jacob blesses his sons, he doesn't bless the eldest born. He blesses Judah. Judah is the one that will carry the messianic line and the, and the kingship line. On you, you Judah, <laughs> say your brothers serve. 
and the mace shall not depart from Judah, nor the scepter from between his legs, until he who is to come has come. And that is Christ, Jesus Christ, the king of kings, whose kingship will never end. Now, David was promised that his own son would sit on his throne, and he would have a kingship that would never end. Well, Solomon sat on his throne, the kingship ended. And there were other descendants of David who sat on the throne, but the kingship ended with their death. So where is this eternal kingship that God had promised to David? Well, it was to be fulfilled in his son, in the incarnation of his son. And his son would be a priest king like David. David acts as a priest. He sacrifices and he blesses the people and he gives the people from the sacrifice. And it's just, but again, it's not dependent on his descendants from the Levitical line, but it's dependent on God's blessing and God's covenant with him. God made a covenant with David that he would place his own David's son, a son of David's line, on the throne to rule forever. But again, and, and this is oftentimes what we do, we hear God's word and we think of it in earthly terms. The, the Israelites, by the time that Jesus came, by the time the Messiah arrived, they're looking for an earthly kingdom. They're looking for an earthly paradise. No, we're not here to live in an earthly paradise. God made us to be with himself in heaven. That's our paradise. So the Melchizedek, the priesthood of Melchizedek is a priesthood, as it says, um, you know, without beginning of life or end of days in the book of Hebrew. We have in, in Hebrews, um, is it 9 or 11 here? I believe it's Hebrews, it's here. Maybe it's Hebrews 7. It's Hebrews 7. It's neither 9 nor 11. It's Hebrews 7. I'm giving you the, these, these verses and these chapters. And so you can look them up and, and think about it. Okay? So we have the priesthood of, of Melchizedek. Okay? Hebrews 7. Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abram appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And again, Shem was righteous when it came to his father and not violating his father's marriage bed, not giving into sin, but being faithful. And then he is also king of Salem. Salem is peace. It means peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy and has neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now again, it's not that he didn't have a beginning of life. If he's a creature, if he's a man, obviously he had a beginning of life. But his genealogy as king of Salem, as Melchizedek, is not given. The, the genealogy of Shem is given. And this is how the, the Jewish scholars were able to ascertain that Shem is Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is Shem, okay? So he, he continues a priest forever because that's how God wanted it and because he was to be a type of Christ. Christ is the true high priest. He's the high priest who existed from all eternity in terms of the second person of the Blessed Trinity would take to himself a human nature. So the second person of the Blessed Trinity... And, and it's from the second person of the Blessed Trinity, slow down, that 
all priesthood comes. Okay? So Christ is the anointed. Jesus of Nazareth, the, the human nature of Jesus is created at the moment of the Annunciation. Okay? That's when he begins to exist. But at the moment of his creation, he is united to the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And so he is unique. He will be, he is the king of Israel that was promised who would be forever. And he's also the priest who would be forever. But his priesthood does not depend on the descendants from the line of David. Okay? His priesthood is like Melchizedek's. Or I should say Melchizedek was a, a foreshadowing of the priesthood of Christ. That Melchizedek appears on the scene without apparent connection, you know, beginning of life or end of days, a priest forever. Okay? So Abraham gives him a tenth of his spoils. And, you know, okay, so the Levites later would receive the law. They, you know, they would receive the, the priesthood in terms of the, you know, and they would get, they would receive, um, they, they didn't work, their, their work was to be priests and the people would support them. But the man, but this man, Melchizedek, who has not their genealogy received tithes from Abraham and blessed him, who had the promises. So Abraham had been made a promise by God. Shem has the blessing from God. And so Shem gives the blessing to Abram. And it's after that that Abram becomes Abraham. And the promise, he receives the promise of becoming a father of many nations after the blessing of Melchizedek. So we have one more segment here. We'll take a little bit more look at this Melchizedek and, and how he is the prefigurement of Christ and how Christ is the true high priest from which all priesthood comes. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with right more. Be right back with more. Don't go away. <laughs> now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, August the 20th. Um, and I really appreciate everybody who's listening. I thank all of our donors, all of those who support us, financially and all of those who support us with your prayers and your sacrifices. And by the way, another way to support us is to make sure that you tell all your family and friends and all of your acquaintances about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Like us on, I don't know, on Rumble. I don't know if you like it or if you, there's some other form of, um, but, but make sure you, you know, like it and pass it on and share it with everybody. Um, the only way the word gets out is if you, those of you our listeners, let it known, be known. And, and I do want to mention that we are planning on having a women's conference here. Um, several women had uh, asked if we could have a women's conference or a day of recollection for women. So we plan to have that here in September. I believe it's Saturday, September 18th. I'm one of the speakers. I don't know what date it is, but uh, I have to look at my calendar again. But you can see on Virgin Most Powerful Radio website, you go and click on events and there's, there's a women's conference there. And we'll have Father Charles Murr and Father Stephen will be there. And so... Um, Go ahead and sign up for that. We, we need to know that people are coming. We don't want to have to cancel this. So please, you know, tell all of your friends, um, who, all of the women who've been looking for a day of recollection, come on out. We're going to start. We're going to have this in, in September here. I believe it's September 18th. Definitely a Saturday. So if, um, uh, look it up and, and, and uh, sign up. Okay, quickly, quickly, quickly. Let's fill up the sign up so that we, we know that people are coming. 
And we're talking today, we talked about in the first reading, the commandments of love, the commandment of love. And we're talking about Melchizedek, the priest, and how the priesthood of, of um, Melchizedek is a foreshadowing of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Melchizedek is the first person in the Old Testament who is explicitly called a priest of God, the Most High. Okay, and he had received, and, and so um, we don't have the priesthood other than pagan priests who served false gods. We don't get a priesthood in Israel until you get Moses. And so Melchizedek blesses Moses, uh, Abraham, excuse me, he blesses Abraham. And, um, and then um, this priestly order of Melchizedek is talked about in the book of Hebrews, especially in chapter 7. And you want to read that. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, the Levitical priesthood was established, actually what happened was there was a, a rebellion against God in the camp of Israel. And the Levites, the, the tribe of Levi were the ones who went and, and purged the people, were willing to purge the people of this rebellion. And um, so they were the ones who were named priests. But their priesthood, it, it was a provisional priesthood. It wasn't the perfection of priesthood. And it was dependent on... Um, Human genealogy. Well, Melchizedek's priesthood isn't dependent on human genealogy. Melchizedek is a priest of God Most High, not because of his genealogy, but because of the blessing he received from God through his father. And, and this is the, so it's, it's the foreshadowing of the eternal priesthood, Melchizedek's priesthood is. The Levitical priesthood was provisional, and it was passing away, and it wasn't perfect. As you know, Paul points this out in his letters, you know, the the blood of goats could not free men from their sins. But, but it was a sign that, you know, I'm willing to off, offer the things of this earth that I'm so attached to, you know, that, that they worship the golden calf. And so what does God demand of them after they worship the golden calf? That you sacrifice the animals to me, to God, so that you know, first of all, that these animals are not gods. <laughs> they're creatures just like you. And they're there to serve your needs. They're not there to be worshiped. And you need to sacrifice them to me so that you understand they're not your God. And so the Levitical priesthood was based on this animal sacrifice, which was uh, supposed to lead the people into renouncing the things of this earth that were taking them away from God and to bring them back to God to prayer. And, but it was a provisional thing. It wasn't to last forever. It couldn't actually free people from their sins because only God could forgive sins. Only God could free the people from their sins. And yes, God worked through the Levitical priests and he gave great graces to his people through the Levitical priesthood, but it wasn't meant to last forever. So when Jesus Christ comes, he establishes a new priesthood. And we see this in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus establishes that priesthood, which is eternal. He is the high priest. And yes, Although, you know, he, and, and, and every priest is, offer, is ordained to do what? In the book of Hebrews, it says every priest is ordained to offer sacrifice. And it says in the book of Hebrews that Christ was perfected as priest through what he suffered. So you have his human nature. Yeah, his human nature was being perfected. And he establishes the priesthood. And he shares that priesthood with other men through the church. So there was, Jesus did establish a priesthood and he established a sacramental system and he established a way by which grace would be given to man. 
And this is, if you read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, yeah, he is the high priest. Christ is the high priest. Every ordained priest in the Catholic Church, in the Orthodox Church, in the Eastern rites of the Catholic Church, and there are many of them, that doesn't, they're not separate from the Catholic Church. They are, the Catholic Church has many rites. But every priest shares in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. He's not supposed to be himself. He's supposed to be Christ. And when a priest acts, when he performs the sacraments, when he confects the Eucharist, when he forgives sins, it is Jesus Christ acting in and through the priest. This is the truth about the priesthood. Jesus came to establish the permanent priesthood and the sacrifice really would forgive sins because there's one eternal sacrifice and we don't re-crucify Christ. We believe that the holy sacrifice of the mass is that one eternal sacrifice of Christ. Jesus offered himself once for all on the cross on Good Friday. But he prefigured that offering at the Last Supper when he says to his apostles over the bread, this is my body. He didn't say this is a symbol. This points to heaven where you will see my body. This is my body. Jesus Christ is God. He's speaking. When God speaks the word, it happens. The bread and wine no longer exist after those words because they truly become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. This is the cup of my blood, the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which is shed for you. So his body is given for us. His blood is shed for us. And in the Last Supper, he establishes the priesthood and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And in the Holy Mass, we're not re-crucifying Christ. Catholics have never believed that they're re-crucifying Christ. Granted, if you asked a child, a, a Catholic child, they're like, well, yeah, it's Calvary, so, but it's not a re-crucifixion. You see, in God, there is no time. So when the priest acts at the altar, when he offers the holy sacrifice of the mass, and it is a sacrifice because it's Christ's sacrifice, it is Jesus Christ who acts in and through the priest by the power of the Holy Spirit to make present to us in time and space that one eternal sacrifice. Time and space no longer exist at the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Calvary is transplanted into our midst, but it's more than just Calvary. We are at the Last Supper. We are present on Calvary. We witness his death and his burial and his resurrection. We also witness his ascension and his glorification in heaven. Read chapter 4 and 5, especially chapter 5 of 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 um, the book of Revelation and chapter 19. The wedding feast of the Lamb is present. It is the Lamb of God who is sacrificed on the altar. This is one eternal sacrifice. There is one priesthood. Jesus Christ is the priest. And when the priest acts in his, as in his priestly minister, it is Jesus Christ who acts in and through him and is present it is Christ who makes present to us, who does away with time and space at the Mass, to make present to us that one eternal sacrifice. That is why the Eucharist is the greatest of all the sacraments, because it is Christ himself present in our midst. And at the Mass, that is why all the other sacraments point toward the Eucharist and flow from the Eucharist, because Everything points toward Christ and everything flows from Christ. And it's all about bringing us back to Christ and transforming us into living images of Christ and becoming one with him. 
so much one with him that he feeds us on his own body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. This is really God present among us. Emmanuel, he remains. So the priesthood of Melchizedek was that foreshadowing. It's that priesthood that comes from God, from the blessing of God. And Jesus Christ, the human nature that was united to the second person of the blessed Trinity, he is the Savior. He is the Christos, the anointed one. And he is the Son of God. And he truly, truly established a priesthood. And he truly, truly established one church to carry on that priesthood and to carry on this sacrifice. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Even as he told the the Israelites at the Passover that they were to, to keep this meal as a perpetual memorial, to remember that God had delivered them from the slavery of Egypt, which was a sign that God wants to deliver them and everyone from the slavery of sin. And it is Christ who delivers us from the slavery of sin. And so the provisional priesthood of the, Levit- of the, the Levites was supplanted by the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It finds its full fulfillment in Christ. It points to the priesthood of Christ, but Christ's priesthood is perfect. He is the high priest, and every ordained minister participates in his priesthood. And he makes present, the priest makes present to us the one eternal sacrifice of Christ in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So Melchizedek, Jesus Christ, is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110 tells us. That Melchizedek was a foreshadowing of Christ. You see, everything in the Old Testament is preparing us for the coming of the Messiah. And the New Testament unfolds to us everything that's hidden in the Old. All the references to Christ that we didn't quite catch, the references to the Most Holy Trinity, the references to the sacraments, the references to Christ's eternal priesthood and his eternal kingship that we didn't quite catch in the Old Testament are all unfolded in the New Testament. So it's all about love. It's all about the love that God has for us, the love that God pours out for us in his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. His son who sacrificed himself for us when we were lost in sin, and he comes to free us from sin. We have here no lasting city. We have here a pilgrimage, and we are to build the kingdom of God in this pilgrimage to the best of our ability by cooperating with God and living that law of love, love of God and love of neighbor, and being righteous like Melchizedek, like Shem, to give up sin and to live in this world free of sin by the grace of God with the help of God. So ask and you shall receive. And we ask every day, Lord, if I'm not in the state of grace, put me there. And if I'm in the state of grace, keep me there. And please grant me the grace of final perseverance. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Remember to go to our website and sign up for the Women's Conference. It's coming up in September. Thank you for your support and your donations, and thank you for your prayers and sacrifices. God willing, we'll be back next week.